Okay, before we look into God's word together on this uh, snowy Christmas morning, let's turn to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that uh, we have this ability through the technology given to us that we can still meet in this way uh, in spite of um, a pandemic, in spite of inclement weather, um, in spite of perhaps uh, human frailty and, and, and sickness even um, for those who cannot normally join with us. But we're thankful now through this uh, avenue that we are able to gather around thy word. And so though we do not know the precise day thy son, our Lord and Savior, was born into this world, yet today is the day that has been uh, memorialized to remember his birth. And so Heavenly Father, now as, as perhaps there are distorted echoes of this in the, in the world around, um, we want to look to the, to the true well of living water, thy word, that will refresh our souls when we consider its truth. And so Heavenly Father, we ask for thy presence to be with us now as we would do this together. We want to remember uh, all of thy children all across the globe who will be um, worshiping thee, perhaps uh, uh, on this morning together, remembering the birth of thy son, that the truth of God become man to live among us, to suffer, to die, and to be resurrected so that we could one day rejoin thee is going to continue to go out until thou wilt return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'd like to read uh, one main text um, from the second chapter of Luke's Gospel as uh, part of our meditation, and then, if time allows, perhaps touch on another section. I'm going to read beginning at the first verse, if you'd like to follow along. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that, while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, 
let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe, lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. I'd like to stop there with the 17th verse. There were great goings on in the Roman Empire at the time that Jesus was born. There was a decree that went out and uh, Caesar Augustus, the emperor, said that all the world, all, the, all of the Roman citizens needed to be numbered, taxed. They had to pay a tax and their names were to be recorded. You can just imagine the massive displacement of people that was happening at this time. If everyone had to go to the city where they were born, um, it must have been difficult to get shipping, hard to find uh, beasts of burden to make the trip, and hotel rooms would probably be impossible, a room in the inn, as Joseph and Mary found. But in spite of the circumstances and, and the um, global events that were going on, some things continued as they always had. There were a group of shepherds that were out in the fields. The sheep didn't care anything for Caesar. They knew nothing of him. And uh, they had to be tended to. And so they were out in the fields watching their flock as they did every time. Some people think that this may be why Perhaps Christ was born in the springtime since the shepherds were with their sheep in the fields. I don't really know. And to be frank, I don't know that it's very important. The issue was that Christ came. But the greater issue, and perhaps the one I'd like to focus uh, on this Christmas morning, is finding Jesus. Those who would know the grace of God, who would understand the grace of God, must first know the fear of God. This is a, a truth, I think, that runs through Scripture right from the very beginning to the end. We read in Scripture that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, the first proclamation of the gospel was given to our first parents who were cowering in fear from an almighty God. Whenever someone found themselves in the presence of God, they fell on their faces in fear. You can think of Moses or Isaiah. Uh, even uh, the Apostle John, uh, of course. When the angel appeared to Zacharias, he was filled with fear. When Zacharias came out of the temple, fear fell on the people when they saw that something had happened and Zacharias was in the presence of God. No one will truly find Jesus who has not first experienced the fear of God. 
it's interesting to see the order of events and the way that it records them. And this is a pattern in scripture. You can find it in other places as well. The angel appears. The glory of the Lord becomes apparent to those shepherds that were sitting on those hillsides and now probably on their faces in the dirt. And so his first message to them is fear not. Let's think for a moment about the nature of that fear. Let's let's consider that for a moment. What sort of fear are we talking about? Uh, fear is not an uh, emotion that's uh, unknown to humanity. <laughs> We're in the middle of a pandemic and there's plenty of fear around. But perhaps not a whole lot of the fear of God. This was not a fear based on mortal danger. The fear that people experience, at least I believe, in the presence of Almighty God is not a fear that they might be killed, but is a deeper-seated fear. Jesus told us who we should fear. He says, fear God. Don't fear those that can kill the body. That's the mortal fear. Fear him who can cast soul and body into hellfire, if I've quoted that correctly. One who goes beyond that. And that, I think, is really at the at the center of what the fear of God is. It's the fear that results from standing in the presence of the Almighty, the one who created all things, but more so the one who has the right, the authority to judge all things, and the realization that we come up short. I think that's the fear. What will he do with me knowing I am what I am? He has every right to cast soul and body into hellfire. But it's interesting to see how the Lord speaks to even fallen men and women. Fear not. Fear not. He seeks us out. And when we are confronted with his presence, when we respond in the fear of God, he tells us, to fear not. This may seem kind of basic. This may seem not all that interesting or even worthy of consideration. But if you'll stop and think for a moment, when you are faced with the reality that you will leave this life and face the one who is Lord of all. It's interesting how near-death experiences often produce a religious reaction. Have you ever wondered about that, why that is? Let's face it, dying is as natural as being born. It's just the other end of things. Nothing um, particularly novel or different about that. People are born and people die every day, every second in this planet. So why the religious reaction? Why, why is it that those who 
perhaps come close to death and then come back from it often have an intense religious reaction and a, and a soberness that comes out of that. I don't think it's just about coming back to this life and squeezing out a few more drops of joy and, and satisfaction uh, because you've been faced with the reality that one day it will end for you. I think it's deeper than that, and I think it is this fear of God, which is why often when you may hear in testimonies that someone had some sort of an experience, a car accident or or some kind of a, a, um, a calamity, and being faced with that reality that they would one day meet God and were not ready, that that was the real beginning of the fear of God in their lives that led them to the grace of God. It's interesting that God chose these shepherds. They were not particularly noteworthy men. I'm sure there were more important uh, men and women in Bethlehem that uh, perhaps, um, at least in the eyes of the world, would have been more worthy of this important news. But we see God's design. God's design in revealing himself to particular groups of people and bypassing others altogether. Anyone that was important or moneyed in that time was, was totally passed over. No angel came to them. No great high priest saw an angel announcing this to him. It was these simple poor shepherds who had the fear of God, who lived close, closer perhaps to God than the priests in the temple out in those fields in Bethlehem. And the Lord knew that they would do something with what they had experienced. They would respond to this grace that was offered to them. Even God's design in having his son born in a stable was part of this. All the angel had to say by way of instruction to these shepherds was he's lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so they went and checked the local stables. I'm sure they knew those well. And they would have no trouble gaining entrance to those. And so were rewarded with finding the one who was indeed Emmanuel, God, with us. So for those of you that may be listening this morning, who do not know this Christ, who have not yet found him, you need to understand that you have every reason to fear the God that you will one day face. It has to begin there. As long as you are self-righteous and you think that you can get by on your charm, your good looks, your intelligence, your morality, you will one day face that one who sits in fire, and then you too will fall flat on your face. But unfortunately, it may be too late. The fear of God, if you would know the grace of God, the amazing grace of God, perhaps the most famous song in the history of songs, amazing grace, you must first experience the fear of God. Without it, you will get nowhere. Your head will not help you. No credentials you can point to will help you. You will be bypassed as the others in Bethlehem were. But the good news is, 
if you will face this fear of God. God's message to you today is fear not. Behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And if, if you look at those words, I've heard it said that the translation in the King James is maybe a little, uh, has a little bit of a different, a different color. And the, the words can also be taken to mean, let me just find it to read it. Oh, here we are. <laughs> and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I've heard it can also be translated as, and peace to men of goodwill. For those that respond to this message of grace, you will find peace. In that time in the world, there was very little peace. There was a great deal of un unrest in this corner of the globe, uh, political intrigue and uh, Romans and Jews and Zealots and Sadducees and Pharisees and uh, Judaizers and 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 um, publicans all at each other. Very little peace. In fact, in a few short years after Christ's death and resurrection, the city was consumed in a in a horrible siege with fire and blood. And indeed, one stone was not left upon another, as Christ prophesied. Very little peace. But for those who had found the grace of God, as re revealed through his son, they had peace. There was something there that, they, that the world could not take from them. I'd like to turn to one more passage of scripture, but still hopefully continuing on the same theme. Finding Jesus. I'd like to read now from Matthew's gospel, also the second chapter, beginning in the first verse. So this is Matthew chapter two, beginning with verse one. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, 
gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's another group of people, again, different than perhaps what we would have expected that God chose to reveal the birth of his son to in a special way. This event in Matthew happened a fair bit of time, I guess, after the immediate birth of Christ. Uh, I don't know exactly how long, but it was not as the nativity scenes tend to depict, you know, the three wise men walking into the stable. That was not the case. We read here in scripture that they were in a house by this point. We also don't know that there were three of them. It just says wise men and there are three gifts. So people put the two together and say there must have been three wise men. They came from the east to Jerusalem. These men were not Jews. Uh, my suspicion and the, the theory that I've read, which makes a lot of sense to me, is that these men probably came from Babylon and were probably wise men, magi, trained to understand the stars, but also influenced by the great prophet, the great Hebrew prophet, Daniel, who lived in Babylon and was chief of the wise men. You'll remember that Daniel himself was given many prophecies and he was a student of prophecy. He considered the, the, the number of years that Jerusalem was to be desolate and he realized what time that was. And so he, he prayed and his prayer is recorded for us in the book that bears his name. He prayed to God uh, with the realization that the Lord would rebuild the city and that it was going to happen again very soon. 70 years or so had passed, as God said it would. And of course, Daniel was also given some very um, accurate prophecies about the coming of, of Messiah the Prince. And so I believe that these wise men had access to the Word of God, had understanding of the Word of God. And in understanding the Word of God, they realized the time was now ripe, for the king to be born, and they, and they began looking for signs of this in the heavens. And they saw a star, a special star. It simply calls it the star. They call it also his star. If you want to read more, there's that website that others have referenced called the Bethlehemstar.net. I think it is the website, which goes through a very interesting theory as to what that star may have been. I'm not going to dwell on that now. It's not um, totally uh, important here, but we can gather something that I think is vitally important for us. If you would find Jesus yourself, a truly longing heart after God is more important than a head full of theological knowledge. You can have the scriptural knowledge and without the longing after God, it will profit you nothing. These men had very little theology. As I said, they were Gentiles. They knew what Daniel had said. They knew his prophecies. And it's interesting to note 
that when they show up in Jerusalem, when they enter the city, they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They went to the capital. That was a logical place. For we've seen his star and are come to worship him. And it says, Herod heard these things. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Think about that for a moment. Why would the Jewish people who were xenophobic, perhaps to an extreme, give any weight to these men? I've heard it said by those of Jewish descent that uh, these school of Magi in the, in the East and in, in Babylon were highly regarded as men of great learning and even divine inspiration. So they gave weight to what these men said. So Herod does uh, the logical thing. He gathers together all the scribes and the, the religious authorities and asks them, where is, where is this king of the Jews to be born? And they could quote him chapter and verse. But that's where it ended. Their knowledge of God ended at the written word and didn't go any deeper than that. There was no longing. There was no hunger. There was no fire that made them get up and say, let's go see this wonder. We know the city. These men say that he is born. Why wasn't there a mad rush to Bethlehem to find this new king? This is the danger of the self-satisfied soul that knows neither the, neither the fear of God nor the grace of God. He may know the word of God, but it will do him absolutely no good. There's one more thing that I think we can learn from these wise men. Not only was their hunger after God and their desire to find him, the thing that drove him. Jesus himself said in the Beatitudes, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And so it was with the wise men. They saw this new king. They gave him their gifts. But there is something maybe, maybe even more remarkable about them that I think we can learn from. Look at their motivation. Look at why they sought out this king. Most people would seek royalty for favor, for something that the king can grant, for some uh, boon or privilege that they can experience that is of advantage to them. Many sought Christ for what he could do for them. And Christ didn't turn people away. People came to Christ because they were sick. Lepers called on him for healing. The leader of the synagogue came and asked for his daughter who lay dying. The Roman centurion had a servant who was deathly sick. All came to Jesus, and Jesus did not turn them away. 
But how many came to Jesus because of who he was and came not to get, but to give? Stop and think about that. It's no secret that, you know, I've been thinking a fair bit lately about the Holy Spirit and his his work uh, in the life of the believer and in the church. Jesus says something, or the, the commentary is given in, I think it's in Luke's gospel, but I could be wrong there. It says, the Spirit was not yet given because Christ was not yet glorified. Think about that for a moment. I think it points to a deeper truth that where Christ is not glorified, there will be no manifestation of the Spirit. The importance of glorifying Christ, of acknowledging him for who he is, not what he can do for us, is something that I think we often forget. God wants us to call on him for our needs, and we should not stop doing that. We've had many prayer requests uh, in the last number of months. We've rejoiced to see prayers answered. Uh, we're thankful that Brother Zoli is able to be home again, that the bleeding seems to have stopped. We prayed the Lord for that, and he heard us. But how often do we glorify him in prayer? The laundry list of requests come easy. The things for ourselves and even for our family, those we love, those we can empathize with, those are the things that we easily come to the Lord with. We, we, we run to him, we seek him out with these requests. But how much in common do we have with these wise men that left a comfortable job in a, one of the great cities of the world to make a difficult and dangerous journey across a desert over a thousand kilometers or so on camel perhaps and other beasts of burden to seek out the king of this obscure province that was under subject to the to the Roman Empire because of prophecy, because of something that the God that they believed in uh, spurred them on to, to, to seek him out. And they found him. This is the other great truth in scripture. Those who seek will find. Those who 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 ask and, and, and seek after God will find him. Those who knock, the door will be open to them. Jesus himself called him, Jesus called himself the door. But I think perhaps during this Christmas season, as we ponder on these things, we need to take a little bit more time to see if we really indeed are glorifying Christ so that the Spirit may be evident in us.
instead of just coming with our needs. As I said, it's not wrong to come with our needs. But if it ends there, how much more is there that God wants to reveal to us? God spoke to them first through prophecy in the stars, but later on he speaks to them in a dream. It becomes more intimate. <clears throat> I wonder what became of those men who headed back to, uh, to their home country after they had given their gifts to this king. I don't know how much longer they lived after this. Perhaps some of them looked for news to see if, if this king was going to uh, uh, reveal himself to be a, a great world leader or something like that. But perhaps if they were still alive at the time of Jesus' ministry, they heard stories of miracles and the mighty hand of God that was working among his people. And perhaps they thought, ah, that must be the one. We don't know. That's conjecture. I'm just guessing at this point, maybe giving myself to a flight of fancy. But I believe that the principles that I've outlined this morning with God's help from the scripture are true. You will not know the grace of God before, until you know the fear of God. In a heart that truly longs after God, who is willing to pursue him, though he be not far from any, any of us, as Paul says, will always be rewarded. And that the highest, the noblest thing that we can do is come to Christ and give him everything. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said, and perhaps uh, one of the brothers could uh, conclude with a, uh, a hymn and then a, a prayer. I do want to thank uh, the Spirit who inspired the message this morning about how to find him, find the Messiah. He's the one who was seeking us. He was the good shepherd. We were the lost sheep who needed finding, but yet he still is found by those who are if we truly seek him, Jeremiah says, we will surely find him. And it is those, I appreciate it, the message brought out, it was those who who had a hunger, who, uh, who had a desire, who were willing to cross the sands of the inhospitable deserts, the ones who who had that humility and, and, and awareness of their need, as opposed to the ones in palaces, the ones with the riches of the word in their hands, memorized in their heads, uh, but not present in their hearts. So I think that speaks to all of us. We all sincerely want the presence of the Spirit, and may, uh, may we indeed glorify Him. And uh, may this particular... Christmas, where the Messiah entered a messy world, may we also allow him into our messy hearts as we have those right attitudes and let him glor be glorified. With that, I guess uh, we conclude the, the message part, and I don't know if uh, we're going to transition um, to Jeff.